Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. So again tonight, we are in the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 10, which means that you can turn to the book of James in the New Testament. And we will get to Proverbs eventually. In the wild and wacky world of online Christianity, (laughs) there seems to be plenty of finger pointing. Lots of finger pointing going on out there. People saying that uh, so-and-so is not saved because they do any number of things. They go to movies, or maybe they, maybe they smoke cigarettes. Maybe they've been remarried. Maybe they've done something in their life that allows other people to point at them and say, well, then I question their Christianity because, after all, look at them. They're like that. And then among the Reformed folk online... There is a, uh, a portion of the Reformed camp that loves to say, well, people aren't really saved if they don't believe the five points exactly the way we spell out the five points, or if they're not completely dirty. And I have heard many times that I am not completely Reformed, not truly Reformed, because uh, I, I'm not a millennial. I've had people say, well, you're not covenantal, so you're not truly reformed because you don't adhere to the creeds. And since you don't adhere to the confessions and the creeds, well, that makes you not truly reformed. And then, of course, the extension from that is you're not really saved. So there's a whole lot of finger pointing and determining who is and is not saved. My standard response to all of them whenever I see people online doing that or whenever I'm dragged into one of those conversations or when they point their fingers at me, I always say, you know, you have enough to do to deal with you. You have enough to do dealing with your sin. You know, it's a fact in the Bible that there's a great many things said about you individually watching that you yourself are in the faith, that you yourself are walking rightly. And there's not very much said, in fact, I dare you all to think of something off the top of your head out of the New Testament, that says if you're a really good Christian, if you're a really truly justified Christian, that gives you a fishing license to go out and point at everybody else who says they're a Christian and explain to them that they're really not because you found some shortfalling in them or some lack of theology in them or something else. Instead, what the Bible says is look at yourself, think about yourself, deal with yourself. It's between you and God. It's between you and this word. It's between you and Christ. But it's not between you and all those other people out there. You have enough to do dealing with you. And the easy way to point at other people is to find some large and obvious sin. Years ago, when I was teaching out of my house, before we had this building. I was just doing a Bible study out of my house and there was a young girl who uh, was not married who also came up pregnant. 
So her sin was really, really obvious. Her sin was apparent for everybody to see. It was really easy for everybody to point at her. So we embraced her and uh, helped her through that. But these big, obvious sins, oh, he's homosexual. Oh, she's been married a couple of times. Oh, these big, obvious sins are the ones that cause people to want to point at other people and say, I condemn you on the basis of this thing I see in you. But there's not a person alive, not a person in this room, not a person who claims the name of Christ who won't find guilt within themselves in what we're about to read tonight. We're going to start in the book of James, in James 3, because the next portion of the Proverbs that we're going to read all has to do with your speech, your tongue. In fact, Solomon is going to say, if you talk a lot, you can't help but transgress. You can't help it. It's just going to happen just because you have so many words out there. So the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom is quiet. Wisdom listens. Wisdom pays attention. Wisdom learns quietly. And that a fool has an endless amount of words. James picks up the same thing in the New Testament and says that the tongue is like a fire. You've got to watch your tongue. Now, the reason that I started tonight by saying in the wild and wacky world of online Christianity, uh, there's so much condemnation out there and so much finger pointing out there. The reason I said that is because every one of those people who are finger pointing are looking for some obvious big thing, some clearly defined, look, they're guilty of this. Look, they're guilty of that. Look, they've done this. Oh, I'm offended by that. And yet... Just even in their talking and pointing out and their judging and everything else, they're going to end up guilty under the things we're going to read tonight. And transgression is transgression. Sin is sin. If you're guilty of talking too much or you're guilty of using your tongue to hurt other people, that's just as guilty as the pregnant girl. Do you get my point? So James chapter 3, starting right at verse 1, says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. Amen. You, understand? <laughs> you understand what Paul is getting at? <clears throat> Don't be... Many people walking around trying to instruct other people in the right way to be, in the right way to walk, because you're going to be subject to an even stricter judgment, and there's not one of us who's actually righteous. That's Paul's argument in the book of Romans. There's no one that does good. No, not one. You've really got to watch the way you're talking about people. I didn't mean to look directly at you as I said that. Okay, Okay, then I did mean to look directly at Okay. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, then he is a perfect, complete man because he's able to bridle the whole body as well. James argues it all starts with your tongue. 
Even if your behavior is excellent, even if your behavior is fine, but you're not watching what you're saying, how you're saying it, what you're doing, the damage you're doing with your tongue, if you're not paying attention to that, you're not complete. You're not perfect in the way you walk. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, that's a perfect person. So there's wisdom there. Notice that James has picked up on that whole idea of being complete as a man, being a perfect man, and that there is wisdom in watching your tongue. And if you can bridle your tongue, you can bridle the rest of your body. Even if you've bridled the whole rest of your body and haven't bridled your tongue, you're not complete yet. Now, if we put bits into horses' mouths so that they obey us, We direct their entire body as well. That's just a reality. Anybody who's ever ridden a horse knows that you get the reins, and the reins are attached to a bit, and the bit is in the horse's mouth. And if you just pull a little bit, it turns his head, and the body follows. Well, James is using that as a bit of an example in order to say that's the same way it is with us humans. Your whole body follows what goes on in your mouth. Behold, ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. You can find these very large steamers out there on the ocean, and the entire boat is turned. Its direction is changed by the rudder, and the rudder is proportionately very small compared to the whole ship. And again, he's making that comparison to your tongue is just a small organ in your mouth. And yet your whole body, the whole direction of your life is changed by what you do with your tongue. That's what he says in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame. By such a small fire. Another one of those comparisons. Every forest that ever burned down didn't start with a conflagration. It started usually with a small fire somewhere. Once that flame hit, next thing you know, the whole forest is consumed. And he's saying, your tongue is like that small fire. And before you know it, it'll burn up whole forests. If you're not careful with how you speak, what you say, how you condemn especially other people. The tongue is a fire. It is a very world of iniquity. Well, that's interesting because, like I said, when we look at what Solomon has to say about it, he says that with a lot of words, you can't help but transgress. If you're always talking, if you're always putting out information, if you're always telling everybody else what you think, what your opinion is, the way you think things ought to be done, and if you're not quiet long enough to just listen, take in information, well, then you're bound to transgress against the person you're talking to and ultimately against God himself. Because John says that transgression, sin, is the transgression of the law. And so when Solomon says it's a transgression, he is under the law, and that's what he's speaking of. You're bound to transgress the very law of God if you're just constantly talking The tongue is a fire, a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. And it sets on fire 
the course of our life. And it's set on fire by hell. People are so full of themselves, uh, I keep saying, that the most frequent sin that is mentioned all the way through the Bible is pride, ego, self-centered, me, more of me. Uh, Enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think of me? Me, more me, I need lots of me. Well, the best way to demonstrate your complete me-centered attitude is by the way that you talk at people, constantly talking at them. Have you ever been around somebody where you can't really genuinely get a word in edgewise? Does that make you feel like they respect you? Does it make you feel like they're paying any attention to what you have to say? No, the end result of that is, okay, they got to say everything they want to say. I didn't get anything in there. Well, this is what James is describing. The tongue is like a fire. It's a very world of iniquity. And the tongue is set among the members of our body as that thing that defiles the entire body. Notice he didn't say that about the hands. He didn't say that about the feet. He didn't say your stomach will defile your whole body. No, what he said is, but your tongue will. How you conduct your language, your speech, how you dominate with your voice, that that is all going to defile everything about you. It defiles the entire body. And it sets on fire the course of our lives. Which means your whole life is, in fact, a conflagration. Your whole life is on fire. You're constantly causing emergencies and dismay with your tongue. Has anybody in this room ever said something that you wished you could take back? All the time, yeah. Why do you think we have phrases like, well, I meant to eat those words, or... Or you don't have to regret the words you don't say. That, that's a phrase I like a lot. Yeah, have you ever done a bunch of damage to somebody with your mouth, with your tongue, with the words you've said? Did you ever have a relationship with somebody that was fine, going good, everything's fine, and then you spit out those words, and even as you heard them coming out of your head, you realized, you knew, this, this is really going to damage them. This is really going to hurt them. And as often as not, your ego is such that your intention is to hurt them. Your intention is to rip them up. Your intention is to do them damage. And you do it with your tongue. And then later on, it's like, man, I wish I could have those words back. Well, then wisdom is be quiet. Wisdom is listen. You know the old adage, God gave you one tongue and two ears? So you should listen twice as much as you talk. Every species of beasts, says verse 7. I'm still introducing, by the way. Every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. Boy, we know that's the truth. Have you ever had somebody now say to you things that were really harmful, really hurtful? And then you realize that it's just going to be really a long time and really difficult before you're ever going to be able to forgive them for what they just did. Because the tongue can be poison. It can poison a relationship. 
It can hurt somebody. And we do it most willingly because we're so full of ourselves. So even though we might tame every kind of animal there is out there, nobody seems to be able to tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Did I mention the wild and wacky world of online religion? That kind of falls right under that heading right there. They're busy blessing God while at the same time they're turning around and cursing men. James says it shouldn't be that way. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh water and bitter water? Well, the answer is no. Either water is good or water is bad. Either water is fresh or water is bitter. There is no fountain where in the same gulp of water you get both fresh and bitter. So he says that's the same way your mouth should be. That's the way your tongue should be. If it's the same tongue you use to bless the Lord, then the things you say should be a blessing to other people. But we don't act that way. We hurt other people. We curse other people. Verse 12 says, can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Well, the answer to both of those is no. And neither can salt water produce fresh water. Then notice the next thing he says, who among you is wise? Well, that's what we're doing. We're reading the Proverbs, the wisdom literature. And James picks up that same question of wisdom. Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds of gentleness. Let him show his wisdom that way. So actual good behavior, actual good deeds, not the outpouring of angry, cursing words. That's what wisdom looks like. Now you can turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10 And last week we got as far as verse 17. We are starting at verse 18. And these next several verses have to do with your tongue, with your speech, with your words, watching what you say. Verse 18 says, he who conceals hatred has lying lips. That's very much like verse 6 where he said, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. We talked about that last week as those are lying lips. There's violence underneath them, but they conceal it. They've got some uh, treacherous activity that they're up to, and they're concealing the violence in their lies. Well, that's very much what verse 18 is getting at. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips. And he who spreads slander is a fool. Let's try this one out. So you're on Facebook one day. You're just around Facebook. You're looking around Facebook when suddenly you hear that somebody in Hollywood who you don't personally know did something. Oh, the horror. Oh, oh, look what this. uh, I, I can't wait to tell people. I can't wait to spread this story. I might retweet this. I might put this up on my wall. I might continue to spread this rather slanderous story. 
Do you think it matters whether you do it online or whether you do it personally? It's the same thing. It's the same idea as gossip. You hear something about somebody else. It's not a good thing about somebody else, but you can't wait to tell somebody else. Well, Solomon says that kind of talk demonstrates, proves that you're a fool. Remember what he already said earlier a couple of times? He said that through a multitude of words, through nonstop talking, you can identify somebody as a fool because they're just talking all the time. And if they're talking all the time, they're not doing what Solomon says is wisdom. Wisdom is to listen. Wisdom is to understand the people who already know the stuff you need to know. If you're out there seeking wisdom, it's better to be quiet and to listen to those who actually know. But if you're talking, talking, talking all the time, then you're not taking that information in, and that is proof positive, according to Solomon, that you're nothing but a fool. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. If you're just talking all the time, if you're letting everybody know your thoughts, your opinion, you think you can do everything better, if you're constantly letting everybody know every silly thing that's going on in your head, then you're not listening to anybody else who could be giving you valuable information and in all that talking and extending that information about yourself, at some point that becomes pride, that becomes self-centeredness, that becomes ego, and that is a very serious transgression of the law and of the New Testament, of everything the Bible says about humility. In chapter 11, verse 2, he starts talking about when pride comes, then there comes dishonor. So pride, arrogance, self-centeredness is exemplified, is demonstrated by people who are only concerned about themselves, and therefore they're going to make sure that you're going to hear everything they have to say. Everything they think, everything they want to say, they're just going to be as verbal on you as they can. I had to edit myself right there. <laughs> but they're going to say everything they want to say. Well, then it's an unavoidable reality that they're going to transgress. That amount of words can't help it, says Solomon. Transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. You don't need to talk. You don't have to tell everybody everything that ever went through your silly little brain. Especially, by the way, let's think about it in big theological terms for just a moment. Can we all agree that human beings are basically corrupt and sinful? Yes. Are we okay with that? Because that's certainly what the Bible says. Then if you're talking all the time, what are you spewing out? Sinful. Sinful. The, the transgression stuff that's going around in your evil little heart and your wicked little brain. That's the stuff that you're spewing out. Whereas you ought to be talking blessed things. If you bless God with your tongue, then you ought to be a blessing to other people and you ought to know when good, wise information is coming your way. You ought to be listening more than you're talking. But he who restrains his lips... Is wise. The tongue of the righteous person is like choice silver. That's really valuable. 
If you come across somebody who's a righteous person, somebody who's wise, somebody who cares about the word of God, somebody who is restraining his mouth and restraining his body, that is a righteous, upright person. And what they've got to say is like precious silver. What they've got to say is the stuff you really ought to be longing for. You ought to be paying attention to. And you can't pay attention to them if you're too busy telling them what you think. The tongue of a righteous man is like choice silver. But the heart of the wicked is worth little. So we're talking about sinful people versus righteous people. Righteous people would know that they use their mouth to bless God and their mouth would be a blessing to other people. You ought to be listening to those people. But then wicked people are demonstrated, are made obvious by the fact that they don't listen. They just constantly are talking and talking and talking and they're talking out of the abundance of their heart. Jesus said it, out of the abundance of a heart, a man speaks. Well, same idea. The heart is wicked, and it's worth very little. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. He's obviously not talking about actual physical food here. He's not saying the lips of righteous people are good for food. That would be cannibalism. The lips of the righteous feed many means that the lips of the righteous bring wisdom, bring nourishment. To many, many people. Because when you look at the second half of the comparison, it's obvious that he's not talking about actual physical food when he says, but fools die for lack of understanding. Feeding, obviously, has to do with giving people good information. And a fool will die for lack of understanding. Why does the fool die for lack of understanding? He's already told us. Because they're talking too much. So they're not understanding, they're not hearing, they're not learning, they're not growing, they're not taking in the good information that's right in front of them. Verse 22 then, the subject changes off that, but let me show you a couple more things because Solomon's not quite done as he's going through these couplets. He's going to go back to that topic and really he'll go back to it time and time again. Go down to verse 31 where he says, The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. But the perverted tongue will be cut out. Okay, that's pretty harsh right there. Now, you know in the Old Testament, under the law, even Jesus talked about it, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the way the law worked. If you took out another man's eye, then you lost your eye. If you were responsible for maiming somebody else, then that's what would happen to you. That was Old Testament judgment Here he says a perverted tongue, somebody who is saying wicked and evil things, that tongue is going to be cut out. Now, I don't know if he's saying literally as the king, I have the power, the authority to make a law saying that if you say something perverse against me, I'll have your tongue cut out. History tells us that has happened in different places and different cultures. I don't know if that's what Solomon is getting at, but the contrast is obvious. The mouth of righteous people flows with wisdom, and a perverted tongue shouldn't be, shouldn't exist. It's going to be cut out. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked bring forth what is perverse. What is perverted? 
look at chapter 11, look at verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. How does he do that? Well, that's got to be through tailbearing, through gossiping, through saying slanderous things about people. A godless man would destroy his neighbor with his mouth. But through knowledge, through assimilating good information, through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Look at verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, the city is torn down. So when righteous people speak in a city, that raises the level, that raises the standard, the discourse, the society itself is improved by proper speech, certainly godly speech, intelligent speech, that raises the room. But a wicked man can damage a whole city. And how does he do it? With his mouth, with his talking. Same thing James said. It's like a fire. It can start a blaze. Look at verse 12. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense. But a man of understanding keeps silent. A man of understanding knows it's better to listen. It's better to assimilate knowledge. It's better to understand the wisdom that's right in front of you. But people keep talking. People keep talking. Look at verse 13. And he who goes about as a talebearer or a gossip, he reveals secrets. He was entrusted with a secret. Somebody told him something he's not supposed to tell anybody else. He's privy to something that his neighbor has told him. And he goes out there and he starts telling tales and he starts spilling secrets. But he who is trustworthy would conceal that secret. He who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Okay, let's put it this way. There are things that I would never say from the pulpit because I don't want them to be public. And if I say it, especially with this microphone on, as I'm connected to the internet, that would make it a very public thing. So then if I'm going to tell somebody that thing that I don't want public, who am I going to tell? I'm going to tell the person who I know is a talebearer and a gossip, kind of a blabbermouth, kind of constantly talking. Is that the person I'm going to trust? No, absolutely not. We all know that. The person I'm going to trust is going to be the person who I know can keep his mouth quiet, who can stay silent, who's trustworthy. Which means Micah, by the way. And we all agreed. We all went, yeah, no, no, Micah. Which is good for our visitor to know that there's one person in the room you can trust. So that's that's, that's good to know. So you're getting a feel for that. You're getting a sense for that. He's going to get back to that. It's going to keep coming up. This is one of the kind of thematic elements of Solomon writing in the Proverbs. He just sees this connection between wisdom and being quiet, listening, paying attention, absorbing information. That's what wisdom is. And foolishness, folly, is talking, talking, constantly talking. I think that's why phrases like, don't answer a fool after his folly, 
presupposes that the fool has been talking. Don't answer him. Don't answer him after his foolishness. So this idea of foolishness and tail-bearing and talking constantly is thematic here with Solomon's writing. Now go back to verse 22. At verse 22, the subject now changes as it keeps doing throughout the book of Proverbs here. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. I like that very much because what Solomon is saying is God can make people rich if you have riches in this lifetime. And let's be honest, there's not a person in this room who isn't really well off. And what I mean by that is 90% of the world is not as well off as you are right now. You've got clothes, you've got food. You can be driving down the road and be a little peckish and just drive into a place where you talk into a box and say, give me food, and you pull up and they give you food. We're very, very fortunate in the world and the society in which we live. We have closets full of clothes. We live in nice houses and drive cars. We, we walk on carpeted ground and our air is conditioned. I mean, we're, we're very, very fortunate as people. We're all very well-to-do as people. God has really blessed us. Yes. There is a political movement these days going on. And I'm not a political guy, but I will say there's a political movement going on now that says you ought to be embarrassed if you have some money. It's unfair for you to have X amount of blessings. It's okay if you have a nice house and a nice car and nice clothes and plenty of food, but you can reach the point where it's just too much. And then we, the guardians of the society, are going to determine that you can't have that much. Well, this verse says that it's a blessing from the Lord that makes you rich. How rich was Solomon? So very rich. He recognizes that it's a blessing from the Lord that makes you rich. But look at the second phrase, and he adds no sorrow to it. In other words, God doesn't say, I'm going to give you stuff, I'm going to give you blessings, but I'm also going to make you pay for it. I'm also going to make you suffer for it. Because that's not the way the blessings of God work. The blessings of God are meant to be enjoyed. And so Solomon concludes that. The blessing of the Lord is what makes you rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. So whatever it is that God has given you in this lifetime, be grateful for it. Say thank you for it and recognize it's God who gave it to you. Now, the one thing that the blessing of richness can do to people, it's a shame. And of course, it's probably just God showing what's really in people. But once some folks get rich, they start thinking, that's right, I did it, self-made man. I worked real hard, pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Now I'm doing well, but I earned it. I got up every day and went to work. But that's not ultimately where your riches or your blessings came from. Your wealth comes from the fact that God gave you the strength to get up each morning and go to work. And that he gave you the mind, the ability to do whatever the job is that you're doing. And whatever wealth does come into your life, That's a blessing from God. So you can never be puffed up about it. You can never be proud about it. You can never say, I'm the one who did this, and the reason I have more than you is because, well, I just worked harder than you. It's all a blessing from God. We ought to thank him 
But we also ought to understand that he's not cursing us in the process, nor is he adding to our sorrows by it. His intention in his blessings is always to bless his people, to make his people happy. So whatever you got, be happy, say thank you. Verse 23, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. I mean, they just do it for fun. They do it as an activity of life. It's like sport for them. But so is wisdom to a man of understanding. It's just what you do. It's what you do for fun. It's what you do to edify yourself. It's how you spend your time. Not in doing wickedness, but in doing the things that add to wisdom. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. And so is wisdom to a man of understanding. And what the wicked man fears will come upon him. But the desire of the righteous will be granted. What is the desire of the righteous? A righteous man is interested in wisdom. He's interested in knowledge. He's interested in understanding, in growing in the grace and knowledge of God. What's the beginning of wisdom? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous have an everlasting foundation. I think that's exactly what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 7. Tom, turn to Matthew chapter 7 for just a moment, starting in verse 24, and I'm going to have you read 24 to 27, because Jesus said this same kind of thing. He picked up that idea that when life comes at you when the whirlwind comes when the winds blow and the rains come if you're not built on something solid you're going to get washed away this is the way jesus put it 24 to 27 if you would everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The same idea here. When the whirlwind comes, when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked are washed away, are blown away, and they are no more. But the righteous has the solid foundation of the word of God, has the solid foundation of faith in God. And when the whirlwind comes, when the rains come, when the winds come, when the trouble comes into your life, it's not going to blow you away. It's not going to wash away your foundation because your foundation is good and solid. Jesus said that it was his word. He said, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, he's building his house on a solid rock. I think that's the same thing Solomon is getting at here that the everlasting foundation of the righteous is the fear of God, because that is the beginning of wisdom. 
So when a whirlwind passes, the wicked are no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Okay, what do those two things have in common? Vinegar to the teeth, smoke to the eyes. They hurt. They hurt. They're irritating. Yeah, exactly. Smoke to the eyes, vinegar to the teeth. So is the lazy one to the one who sends him. So if you send somebody on a task, remember this is the king writing this. If he sends somebody on a task, here, take this message and run it over there for me. If, if the person is lazy in the doing of it, they're a real irritant. So to those who are righteous, to those who are God-fearing, to those who are trying to accomplish the good and the righteous and the upstanding things in this life, laziness is irritating. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. The hope of the righteous means what we're anticipating, what we're looking forward to. And what we're looking forward to, what we're hoping for, is that we're going to have contentment in this life, but that we will endure until the end of the life, and then we're going to go to the place, ultimately, where there's no more sin, no more death, where God's going to wipe away every tear, and we get to experience that kind of everlasting joy. That is the hope of the righteous. The hope of the righteous is gladness. But the expectation... Of the wicked, what would the expectation of the wicked be? They figure they're going to get away with it. They figure nothing bad's going to happen to him. I was watching a video just today, Janine and I were, called uh, The Atheist Illusion. Not The Atheist Delusion, but The Atheist Illusion. And one of the most common themes of the many atheists that they showed in that movie was that they all thought, well, there's no God, there's no punishment. In fact, Christopher Hitchens said that one of the great joys of life was laughing at the misery of others. Why could he say such a thing? Because he thought he'd never have to pay for it. Nothing bad would ever happen to him. The expectation of the wicked perishes, and that expectation fades away. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright But the way of the Lord is like ruin to the workers of iniquity. The workers of iniquity aren't interested in the ways of the Lord. But the ways of the Lord are going to win out. And it's to the ruin of the workers of iniquity. The way of the Lord is a stronghold, a fortress, a place of protection to the upright. And the righteous shall never be shaken. But the wicked will not dwell in the land. Without going into too much detail, that land promise again looms very large here in Solomon's writing. The idea that ultimately Israel is going to possess that land in the perpetuity that was promised to Abraham, that he and his descendants were going to have that land forever. But ultimately, when you see like the new Jerusalem, 
You look at the end of Revelation 21, 22, New Jerusalem coming down from heaven. The inhabitants are all those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. But it also says that liars and the evil, the wicked, are outside it. They don't get in it. They don't get to dwell in the land, as it were. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. Then verse 31 and 32, we already read, which is the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked brings forth what is perverted. Next week, we will pick up at chapter 11. If you come away with nothing else tonight, it should be obvious. Number one, shut up. That would be just good general advice. Listen more than you talk. Constant talking is the demonstration, according to Solomon, that you're a fool. And secondly, recognize the blessings of God in your life. This whole last portion that we read from verse 27 down to verse 30 is all about the benefits of the blessings of God in your life. If you have the blessings of God in your life, recognize it, be thankful for it, but also enjoy it. Also know that God who is good is blessing you, protecting you, taking care of you. You're going to persevere. He's like a fortress that you're living in. He's your stronghold. Recognize that he's the one that's getting you through this life so that you have the hope that ultimately leads to the joy and the happiness of that hope. Sounds like New Testament teaching, but Solomon is still teaching the way of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Got it? Got it, sir. All right, questions? No? We're all good? All right. We'll say goodbye to the internet congregation. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.